Osiris. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. I look into the finance box to check my status. Look into the microscope for see. One of those people who obsesses over fish set lists every night that they're on tour? Do you have a long text change with your friends debating over what they'll play that night? I don't know anybody like that, Brian. Well, if this is you, we would encourage you to check out Lure Social. That's L-U-R-E Social.com. It's a digital community that connects fans for a unique fantasy gaming experience. You can select shows, create set lists, of what you think that Fish is going to play and compete against the entire Fish community. You've been playing it. It's really fun. We encourage you to check it out. Absolutely. As uh, we're leading up to tour here, uh, Summer Tour 2018, we've been kind of going back and forth. Us, the guys over at HF Pod, uh, the girls over at Female Centrics, even Tom Marshall. We've got a big pool going on between all of us playing Lure, trying to figure out what we think Fish is going to play this summer really really fun stuff allows you to come up with really unique set lists it's a really great way for you and a bunch of your friends to kind of get engaged with summer tour and play along so we definitely would encourage you guys to visit luresocial.com that's l-u-r-e social.com to play I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 38 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, more often than not, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing and listening to other bands that we think that they will enjoy, usually non jam bands. We love Fish, we are Fish fans. Sometimes we realize that fish fans can get a bit myopic, a little unenjoyable at dinner parties, and all they can discuss is fish. So our job is to do something about that, give them something else to listen to, get them out of their comfort zone, and uh, see what awesome and most wonderful things that will bring. Absolutely. And we've been doing this for just over a year now. This is episode 38. Our backs are starting to hurt. We're starting to grow a little bit of hair behind our ears, but we are still chugging along towards that long-term goal of introducing you guys to music through the music of Fish. And in this episode, we are going to cover the 2001, the version of 2001 from Memphis, Tennessee on September 29th, 1999. It's a really fun show. It's a really excellent jam. And we've picked out some great, great songs. We're going to do a big deep dive on this, and we think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Some of the themes that we're going to explore in this show Include Funk Jam circa 1972, Memphis Blues, and Fish in the Southwestern Division of the National Basketball Association. On that note, let's get to some fish. come out right, the, right out the gates here with a bold statement. Arguably, 
arguably this is the best version of 2001 that the band has ever played. What say you, Dave? Trafex, Trafex, Trafex. It sounds like he's setting off five vacuums at once. He's playing guitar backwards and, well, not quite as deeply wah funky as, say, like a 1997 version. This is probably as interstellar as the song ever got. I mean, you'd be thinking you would be forgiven for thinking this was a holiday run show because sometimes it exists that uh, this 2001 really only exists to showcase tons of new tray effects. I mean, there's some parts of this that sounds like an air traffic controller with like radio signals, almost like the scene in Spinal Tap when uh, they're playing on stage in the aircraft hangar and picking up all all kinds of signals on on uh, on their guitars. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about this jam, this perfectly fuses the groove-based jamming of 99 with their long-form groove-based experimentation overall. This 2001, it's a masterful meeting of the worlds that we're all better for. You know, they started this approach in 96, 97, and really mastered it, I would say, in this 2001 here, at least from a version for that song. Um, You could definitely say this is a close corollary in terms of the alien invasion groove jamming that you found in the 4298 twist. Yes, it really is that good, isn't it? Yeah, and um, this version of 2001 is a commercial airliner. Around 10 minutes and 55 seconds, it hits a huge patch of turbulence, and the ship threatens to get out of control. It's really one of the greatest WTF moments in fishery. I mean, it's almost like the plane's going to nosedive, and it's going to crash until it doesn't. And then you just go into the whole like second portion of the song. It's really, uh... yeah, I can't, this is... I don't think it's that well-known just because when I think of well-known 2001s, I think of um, like the Michael Jackson theme one from June 25th, 2010. There's like a James Brown start, stop when they played at Hartford. But in terms of really spectacular 2001s, I don't think this one gets enough ink. And I think it's probably the best one they've ever done. I know it's one of only three or four that's gone over 20 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, to me, like to step back and just consider 2001. Cause I agree with you. There are some really phenomenal versions. And when we were planning this, we kind of tossed around a few ideas and ultimately settled on this for kind of the thematic influence that we could go. And also the fact that, you know, we want to introduce you guys to something that's not as um, you know, well, well known, but you know, if the entire goal contextually of Fish's 1996 Romanian light experimentation was musical connectivity around a simple groove-based jamming approach, then 2001 could arguably be called the signature song of that era. This is less abrasive than Ghost or Black Eyed Katie slash MoMA Dance. It's less exploratory in its nature than Tweezer or Tube. 2001, at its heart, is a pure, simplified groove, allows the band to bob and weave for like 9 to 24 minutes, offers ideas, peaks in a communal way that would see 20,000 fish heads lose their mind every few nights during those four years. Now, in terms of the overall significance of the show, I would call 92999 a ridiculously overstuffed in a very good way. I mean, it's got excellent jams, and it also has some serious, like, 1994-1995 style like gimmicks as well. And um, just talking about the venue itself, which is the Pyramid, which is a literal pyramid on the banks of the Mississippi River. It used to be home to Memphis Grizzly games and uh, an Arena League football team. And it also had, uh, I think, the final Memphis Grateful Dead shows in 1995, where they played Take Me to the River the first night. Those took place at the Pyramid. But... Now the Memphis Grizzlies have uh, their own new arena at the base of Beale Street. And the Pyramid no longer hosts rock shows, but rather it's home to a gigantic bass pro shop. You can uh, go and buy your fishing gear and your bows and arrows and your boat accessories. And then it even has a little like balcony with a bar at the very top of it for like an observation deck. I think the last rock show might have been um, Bob Seger's in the Silver Bullet Band back in 2007. So it's kind of strange. 
and also with the show listening you could even figure this out without Trey talking about the contest but uh, set one is an exploration of all things in D major other than the song Driver they start off at Runaway Jim big D major song they slam right in the free another big D major song I mean it must have been kind of odd to be at this show and hear so many songs in the singular key and they sort of try to figure out what's going on makes sense Fish makes the money in D major many of their best songs are in that key whenever you think of teary-eyed major key jamming seven times out of ten they're probably playing in D major if almost every Umphreys McGee song is in E major Fish is a lot of stuff in D major yeah, and a few highlights from this show beyond that first set that is, uh, it's just a lot of fun to listen to kind of for all the similarities and the contest that goes along with it. Um, the free is really excellent. If this is not a type two jam, it's at least type 1.5. Really good versions of theme from the bottom, stash, runaway gym, and a tweet prize first cl- set closer because why the hell not? Second set, Definitely way more than just the huge 2001. Followed it with a 15-minute down disease, and the set eventually culminates with one of my favorite sticky, but also really purposeful jamming that they've ever done. This is like a fusion of a 1994 second set with 1999 jamming. Mike song, catapult, Mike song, kung, Mike song. I didn't know. Weak Pog Groove. All of that with start-stop jamming that's some of the funkiest that you've ever heard. It's a totally, totally silly second set that has some amazing jamming, really showcases the high that the band could still reach in late 1999. And then they encore with Cities because the Memphis line, and they shout out to the Memphis classic Rendezvous Barbecue. It's a really fun show overall. I forget to mention Memphis, home of Elvis and Rendezvous Barbecue. <laughs> I didn't get to Rendezvous Barbecue, though. When I was in Memphis, I went to Payne's. They're incredible chopped pork sandwiches, like a green mustard sauce. My God, it's on my Instagram feed if you ever want to see it. And uh, just a quick shout out to my friend and uh, current New York City resident, Tara Thomas. She is a Memphis native. I know this was her first show. And I guess it blew her mind because she's seen over 150 cents. So, hey, Tara, this one's for you. Well, it's funny because I have some really close friends from college who this was their first show as well. So shout out to Mike Simmons, John Boatner, and Blake Reese. All of them are Memphis boys. Two of the three of them would go on to form the greatest aughts bar band in Missoula, Montana, Miller Creek. Let's get crunk, guys. And one quick note, get a little serious for one second. John Boatner... John Boatner Jr., if you will, is currently running for Congress in the Tennessee 8th District. It's a historically red district. He's part of the Blue Rave. We're hoping sweeps Washington this November. Check him out. We'll post a link in the show notes. And please go and vote. By all means, go and vote. Now, one thing that probably strikes you guys about this show that we're doing here is Memphis is a really rare place to see fish. Um, it's not really the type of not the area of the country where you imagine fish playing a ton of really good shows uh, <clears throat> and the shows that preceded this one on the tour followed a really unique track as well uh, through what we now know as the NBA Southwestern Division comprises of the Houston Rockets, the San Antonio Spurs, New Orleans Pel- Pelicans, Dallas Mavericks and of course the Memphis Grizzlies as we here at Beyond the Pond are both NBA fans, and this is a very rare part of the U.S. for Fish to tour, we present for you the best shows Fish has played in the NBA's Southwestern Division. What do you got for us to start out with, Dave? We've got October 14th, 1994 from New Orleans. It's got Big Forbin's Mockingbird and a Michael Ray guest appearance in set two. May 4th, 1994 for New Orleans. This was the Cosmic Country Horns. As a young trombone player, I transcribed the trombone solo in the Gila so I could play it. Next, uh, we'll stick on New Orleans. October 17, 1995, Modesky Martin Wood opened, thus beginning the Thinking Fish Fans mid-90s obsession, MMW. Jumping into Memphis, aside from this particular show, we've got 11-18-1996, another big 2001, one of the first ever 2001 jams, in the midst of what we called for in the last episode, the Prairie Land uh, Fall 
96 box set. Another show we talked about in the last episode, the 61495 show from Mud Island, 50 Minute Tweezer, one of our favorite shows from Summer 95. Um, and then one show, just a note in Houston, July 24th, 1998. This has a really great MoMA, in G- MoMA into gym opener. A 24-minute Wolfman's open up, opening up the second set, which leads into a very slick, segue-heavy second set. And we've got July 25th, 1997 from Dallas. The rare, underrated, underappreciated summer 1997 show. July 26, 1998, also from Dallas. It's got a 30-minute pure summer 1998 version of You Enjoy Myself. Of course, May 7, 1994 from Dallas. That's the Bomb Factory. That's Live Fish 18. And then finally, October 24th, 2016 from uh, Grand Prairie. I guess that's the greater Dallas metro area. That was night one. Kind of a fun show. Night two is arguably the single worst show of 2016. I have friends that they were there. They could they could tell you all about it. Interesting second set. And anyway, let's listen to some of the 2001 from September 29th, 1999 from Memphis, Tennessee.
right. Hope that you guys enjoyed that groove out section there from that section of the uh, 929 1999 Memphis 2001. So we've got a couple themes that we want to address within this episode, kind of based loosely off of the version of 2001. The first is we wanted to talk about Funk Jams circa 1972. Because the original 2001, the Day of Data version that uh, Fish had based this on, that album Prelude was recorded in 1972, released in January 1973. Absolutely. And that is an era of some amazing funk music. 2001 was a real big signifier of Fish's foray into funk music. So we wanted to go back kind of to some origin period, talk about some deep funk give you guys some music to dive deep into and jam out to. So the first selection is going to be from the band Funkadelic off of the album America Eats Its Young. The song that we're going to play is A Joyful Process. So Funkadelic, from the brain of George Clinton, from the backwoods of Detroit and New Jersey, this is perhaps the most influential black rock band of all times and one of the most important bands of all time, period. So following the release of their monumental psych-funk LP Maggot Brain in 1971, Clinton would further expand his band with more members from James Brown's backing band, as well as Bootsy Collins on bass, before recording this sprawling double LP. This is an incredibly political record, it's 70 minutes long, is almost too big, as some complain about its lack of focus, especially considering how taut and focused Maggot Brain was. Per the album's title, the album is Angry and Political. It's an hour-plus critique of America in the early 70s, where the young was shunned from participating in elections, sent off to Indochina to die in the jungle, in the inner cities, the war zone from abroad came home with crime, drug trade, murder, and poverty dominating many of the nation's most populous centers. The black population, fresh out of the civil rights decades, found themselves ostracized from the political elite and ignored as the country became further enamored by Watergate in Vietnam. Sound kind of familiar? In short, this record feels a lot like our time. It's angry, messy, disjointed, experimental, unhinged, and at times filled with rage. The opening track focuses on the notion that a victory in any dispute does not confer moral advantage, which is like totally pres- uh, prescient. The song, Everybody is Gonna Make It This Time, focuses on the idea that everyone is capable of growing and reforming, but only those who reflect and want to grow are able to realize this. And the album closer, Wake Up, is about being aware to the larger social and political issues of the day and that being a good thing. So on that note, we are going to go ahead and play a little bit of a joyful process. Funkadelic off of their 1972 album, America Eats It Young.
Brian, thanks for playing that Funkadelic song. Certainly, that's not one of their albums I'm terribly familiar with, and I'm going to go back and listen to it. So, what I'm going to do now is talk about an album from um, jazz vibraphone player Milt Jackson, the longtime leader of the modern jazz quartet. And the album is called Sunflower, and the song is called People Make the World Go Around. So, the qualifications for this is that it was recorded in 72, released in 73. And just like the Deodato's Prelude album, Sunflower was released on the CTI label. So, I'm going to give a little brief insight into that label. So, the Deodato album Prelude, that contains the arrangement of 2001 we feature here today, was a part of that label. And I also uh, just want to give a shout out to that album in general. Uh, in addition to being the best-selling CTI record of that era, it's an excellent album in its own right, both incredibly funky and often incredibly cheesy in a Price is Righty kind of like game show music way. So CTI stands for Creed Taylor Incorporated, and it was initially founded in 1967 by music producer slash A&R man Creed Taylor. And what I think the label is best known for is their output in the early 70s, say 1972, 1975, albums of which almost all were recorded by the late, great, legendary Rudy Van Gelder at his studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. It's right off the Palisades Parkway, and I think it's in a house that was built by a disciple of Frank Lloyd Wright. And I think they don't use it as a recording studio anymore, but the owners are trying to get it landmarked uh, for that purpose. So, most of these albums featured a rotating, yet often largely static group of session men that are sometimes referred to as the CTI All-Stars or the CTI House Band, usually including Ron Carter on bass, Billy Cobham or Jack DeJanette on drums, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Herbie Hancock on electric keys, and, um, and Erto Moreira, the Brazilian percussionist. I think Ron Carter might have played on every single CTI album. And these albums are often seen as pioneering a type of soul jazz sound. I mean, largely due to the frequent use of electric piano like Fender Rose and the Wurlitzer and highly percussive grooves undercut by Ron Carter's rumbling bass. And nearly everything on CTI from this era is fun, albeit sometimes corny fun. And if I'm in a used vinyl store and I see a CTI album from 72 or 73 I've never heard of, I'll just pick it up on faith because I'm rest assured that it'll probably be pretty good. And believe me when I tell you that there isn't a used vinyl store in the country that doesn't have plenty of uh, plenty of uh, CTS to up for grabs. And some of my favorites from the era include Freddie Hubbard, album Red Clay, Stanley Turrentine, Sugar, Erto Moreira Free, and George Gimme the Night, Benson, Body Talk. Not everyone loves this label. Naysayers often refer to it derisively as, quote, fusion. In particular, the snooty purist behind the Rolling Stone guide to jazz that I always used to read in Barnes & Noble in the 90s were notorious for giving these albums one and two stars out of five and saying things like they are trendy and disposable as Coke spoons. But one album that I enjoy even more so than the ones I mentioned is uh, the one we're talking about, Sunflower by Milt Jackson. Which, uh, it splits the difference between string-laden ballads and vibraphone leads. And um, people make the world go round, an infectious electric piano groove courtesy of Herbie Hancock. It's definitely the funkiest song in the album. And as I was saying, it was recorded and released around the same time as Deodato's Prelude, December 1972, released in 73. And it certainly has the requisite CTI hallmarks such as Ron Carter's bass lines, Freddie Harbour trumpet, and Billy Cobb drums. That being said, it's somewhat more elegant than a lot of the CTI output from the era, and People Make the World Go Around is the most quote-unquote CTI-sounding song here, and probably the best. And I apologize for having said the phrase CTI about 17 times in the past minute and 30 seconds, but that's just what I have to do to make it click. So, let's listen to People Make the World Go Around off of Milt Jackson's Sunflower.
right. Thank you so much there, Dave, for that song from Milt Jackson. So, I'm going to talk about new albums here for a second. First album I've got up is the fourth LP from an Australian instrumental group called Tangents. And the album we're going to discuss here is called New Bodies. And this is a record that is filled with more emotion and even more meaning than much of their past work. So Tangents is a band comprised of keyboards, drums, bells, cello, effects, and electronics. They're a really bizarre sound. And I don't mean this hyperbolically. This is a sound that you've never really heard before. It's instrumental. Cases, it's improvisational. We'll talk about that here in a second. But from a fish standpoint, the closest relative, I would say, is the Sicket and Victor disc, leaning a little bit more towards the Victor disc. Um... But this is just a really, really excellent record that uh, Dave actually recommended to me a couple of weeks back. Texted me one morning and said, this is your wheelhouse. I listened to it and I was like, yes, it is very much. I listened to it a ton since. Um, So this band's origins, Tangent's Origins is an improvisation. The first two LPs were recorded in a single sitting. But here, New Bodies is recorded through edits. The band jammed with Freeform, abandoned recording their process, and then returned to the studio to edit down to more bite-sized pieces. Sonically, they share their similarities with the band The Next, another Australian improvisational group I featured in this very segment in episode 6 from last spring. And what further separates this album, New Bodies, from their first three records is the outward happiness, joy, and pure funk that they unleash. Kind of in the same way that even the darkest fish jams can sound ebullient at heart, these songs sound like a band toying with their dark origins and the light that they've discovered simultaneously. In the same way that I discussed Mark McGuire and The Caretaker in our last episode, 37, the band's approach to songwriting in this album with a focus on editing down experiments to cohesive pieces, as well as their emphasis on joy, is the rare instrumentally experimental album that is as emotional as it is thought-provoking. So definitely check out Tangents, New Bodies. What do you got for us, Dave? I'm going to talk about the fifth album from Wooden Ships called V, or the five in Roman numerals. So... This is the fifth album from long-running West Coast Repetition Psych Rockers. The front man is a guy named Ripley Johnson. He also moonlights in the band Moon Duo, who uh, we featured on Beyond the Pond a few times. They also play repetitious psych rock, but well, that band is kind of veered more to like synthy, like icy shoegaze direction. Wooden ships remain clearly on the classic rock spectrum. And this is... Uh, they're a big road trip soundtrack band. I've always said that their albums should each come packaged with mirror shades. It's easy to imagine yourself as the Captain America character played by Peter Fonda in Easy Rider when you put on a Wooden Ships album. And I think like uh, each record has gotten a little smoother, a little more radio friendly. This is probably their most accessible album. You can almost make out what Ripley Johnson is singing about. Some of the songs are borderline like poppy country rock almost. You know, the first albums were a little more like the 70s band Suicide, a little more abrasive. But, you know, the emphasis is still on things that are cool and repetition, as well as very much uh, some summertime textures. I know they said that they set out to make a summer album here, and this works for barbecues, slow car rides, long walks. There's also lots of kick-ass guitar solos in the last song, Right on would probably work as the prom theme for marijuana casualties. It's a great rock and roll album that demands very little on the part of the listener. Easy to enjoy. Excellent for summer. All right. So getting into our last segment here. Segment two, I'm going to talk about the Memphis blues. And why not? There's really nothing bluesy about the 2001, but it was played in Memphis. We did, we deserve to uh, jump into the Memphis blues here. The, Genre deserves us to speak about it. we got some great songs that we want to uh, introduce you guys to. So I'm going to talk about a song by a uh, really important blues guitarist from the 60s and 70s prominently, Albert King. The song we're going to talk about is Crosscut Saw off of the album Born Under a Bad Sign and later the compilation album King of the Blues Guitar. 
So Albert King was born Albert Nelson and rumored, but not confirmed, to be the half-brother of B.B. King. Don't actually think this is true, but he led on the rumor his entire life. So Albert King was a pioneering blues guitarist who spent most of his life and career in Memphis. He's best known for his 1967 hit, the song Born Under a Bad Sign. In addition, he's well known for his ferocious string bending, his style, and his smoky lyrics. He's known in his time as the Velvet Bulldozer for his size and his voice. And also because he drove a bulldozer as a day job before he became a professional musician. Albert Nelson, who'd become Albert King, was born on a cotton plantation in Mississippi and sang in a gospel choir when he was just a child, born one of 13. He made his first guitar out of a cigar box, a piece of bush, and a strand of broom wire. He later bought a real guitar for a buck 25, and as a lefty, he flipped the guitar pushing his strings down to bend rather than pulling them up. He began work as a professional musician in Gary, Indiana, and then later St. Louis, and worked with Jimmy Reed and Blind Lemon Jefferson. As he became an established musician, his preferred guitar was the Gibson Flying V. He moved to Memphis in the early 60s after it was clear that his best prospects were touring the club circuit in in the southeast, He signed with Stax Records, where he could record some of his best songs, including Crosscut Saw. King found success when he settled on a clean production for his songs and played them in a more upbeat, danceable style that felt closer to R&B than the traditional blues of the time. His bassist, Donald Duck Dunn, is thought to have been an early influence of the heavy metal genre. In the 70s, King would go on to reinvent himself as something of a funk artist, moving beyond the blues into something groovier and even more danceable than what he was making in the 60s. Due to his sound from the 60s, his sound translated quite well to this. However, when Stax folded in 1975, King's success dipped and he ultimately took four years off from recording. Albert King was a major influence on Jimi Hendrix, Mick Taylor, Derek Trucks, Warren Haynes, Joe Walsh, Eric Clapton, especially during Cream, his Cream era, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. And King would die of a heart attack in December 1992, just two days after performing his final concert. But so the album that we're talking about here, so Born in a Bad Sign was King's first album for Stax and is widely seen as one of the most influential blues albums of all time. For many, this album is the dividing line for the blues, as this feels like the true beginning of the modern blues era. Booker T. Jones plays on organ, Isaac Hayes plays on keys, and the album where the song Crosscut Saw also appears on, King of the Blues Guitar, was later released in 1969, and basically that features the entirety of Born of No Bad Sign and a few other recently recorded tunes. It's kind of a weird compilation, but you can find this song on both albums. We're going to talk here, or we're going to listen to uh, Crosscut Saw and Albert
Okay, Brian. Thank you for the Albert King song. So in terms of some classic, very old school Memphis blues, I'm going to talk about an artist who I've only recently decided to learn about and kind of do a dive into myself. His name is Memphis Mini. We're going to play When the Levee Breaks off of the Best of Memphis Mini. Memphis Mini is the performing name of one Lizzie Douglas, blues guitarist and vocalist. She was active in the 1920s for the 1950s. She was born in 1897, was playing guitar by the tender age of 11, and she ran away to Beale Street in Memphis by 13, living in the neighborhood and playing on street corners as a teenager. Though she's associated with Memphis blues, she actually found most of her success in 1930s Chicago, recording for both the Decca and Bluebird labels, while playing Chicago clubs both solo and sometimes with her contemporary blues guy, Big Bill Brunzi. She recorded over 200 songs, has been called the most popular female country blues singer of all time. She's a member of the Hall of Fame of the Memphis-based Blues Foundation. She's generally thought of as a professional who didn't take shit from anybody. Kind of her trademark was she was known for performing in pearls and big chiffon gowns, but spitting tobacco the entire time. And the song which I'm going to feature here is when the levee breaks, which was indeed the inspiration behind the Led Zeppelin song of the same name, although Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, they retrofitted it and gave it slightly different lyrics. It was written in 1929 by Memphis Minnie, her then-husband-slash-co-performer Kansas Joe McCoy, and is said to be in response to the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927. So here's When the Levee Breaks in Memphis Minnie. If it keeps on raining, love is going to break. And the water gonna come and I have no place to stay. Well, all last night I sat on a lever in the moon. Well, all last night I sat on a lever in the moon. Thinking about my baby and my happy home. If it keeps on raining, love is going to break. If it keeps on raining, love is going to break. And all these people have no place to stay. Now look here, mama, what am I to do? Now look here, mama, what am I to do? I ain't got nobody to get my trouble to. Alright guys, thank you so much for hanging with us here in our 38th episode. We hope that you guys enjoyed this. We enjoyed the 2001 at the top of the show. Some of the songs that we played based off of that 2001. So in segment one, we talked about Funk Jams circa 1972. I talked about Funkadelic, A Joyful Process, off of America Eats Its Young. And Dave talked about Milk Jackson's People Make the World Go Round off of Sunflower. And then in segment two, we talked about the Memphis Blues. I talked about Albert King, the song Crosscut Saw off of the albums Born Under a Bad Sign and King of the Blues Guitar. And Dave talked about Memphis Mini, the song When the Levee Breaks off of the Best of Memphis Mini. Just a reminder of our social media links. You can find us on Twitter at underscore beyond the pond, one word, on Simplecast. Beyond the Pond. Simplecast.fm. That's our website. Of course, on Spotify, we have our Master Beyond the Pond podcast song playlist. It's up to, I think, about 265 songs. We try to update usually um, on the day of or shortly after an episode goes live. Always check out the Osiris Podcast Network, which we are a part of. That's OsirisPod.com. And leave us a review on iTunes. It helps drive traffic. We read them. Absolutely. And um, just a quick reminder, we're sponsored this week by Lure Social, the all-encompassing fun fish game for Tour 2018. You can find out about the game, play along with your friends at luresocial.com, L-U-R-E social.com. And a quick reminder of our publishing structure. Um, we don't know exactly what this is going to look like over the next couple of weeks, to be totally honest. Uh, fish tour is upon us. We're going to try to cover fish tour. We have some other 
fun little episodes that we want to sprinkle into you guys. So there might be a lot of Beyond the Pond. There might be a lot and then take a break. We'll see. But we're going to try to cover as much of 2018 Fish Tour. We'll definitely be talking about it on Twitter with you guys. But on a, in a normal time of year, every other Tuesday, you can expect an episode from us. Uh, Tuesdays have no feel. So it's best to go beyond the pond with all your friends. And like we always like to say, uh, if you like the bands that you heard in this episode of Beyond the Pond, make an effort to go out and see them, buy some vinyl, buy a shirt, get a concert ticket, throw them some coin, because really, it's harder than ever to make a dollar and a cent in the music industry in 2018. On that note, if you've gotten this far in the episode, thank you very much for listening. Come back in two Tuesdays which we will join hands. We'll listen to some good music. We'll listen to some good non-fish music. And go beyond the pond. Osiris. Osiris.